Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob and reading today from the Free Grace Broadcaster, a quarterly put out by the people of Mount Zion Bible Church in Pensacola, Florida. The topic this quarter is conscience and to speak on it, we're reading the words of John Flavel who lived from 1630 to 1691, an English Puritan. His text is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here is the encouragement Christ gives uh, to this duty of coming to him. I will give you rest. I will refresh you. I will give you rest from your labor. Your consciences shall be pacified, your hearts at rest and quiet in that pardon, peace, and favor of God that I will procure for you by my death. For let a man break his heart for sin, let him weep out his eyes, let him mourn as a dove and shed as many tears for sin, if it were possible, as ever there fell drops of rain upon the ground. Yet, if he come not to Christ by faith, his repentance shall not save him, nor all his sorrows bring him to true rest. Hence, note, some souls are heavy laden with the burdensome sense of sin. I do not say all are so, for fools make a mock at sin, Proverbs 14.9. It is so far from being burdensome to some that it is a sport to them. But when a man's eyes are open to see the evil that is in sin and the eternal misery that follows it, sin and hell being linked together with such strong chains as nothing but the blood of Christ can loose, then no burden is like that of sin. A wounded spirit who can bear? For let us but consider the efficacy that the law of God hath upon the consciences of men when it comes in the spirituality and power of it to convince and humble the soul of a sinner. For then, first, the memory of sin long since committed is refreshed and revived, as if it had been but yesterday. There are fresh recognitions of sin long since acted and forgotten as if they had never been. What we did in our youth is fetched back again. By a new impression of fear and horror, they are set home upon the trembling conscience. Thou writest bitter things against me and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. Job 13.26 Conscience can call back the days that are past and draw up a new charge upon the score of old sins, Genesis 42.21. All that ever we did is recorded and entered in the book of conscience. And now is the time to open that book, when the Lord will convince and awaken sinners. We read in Job 14.17 of sealing up iniquities in a bag, which is an allusion to the clerk of the assizes in the courts, who takes all the indictments that are made against persons at the courts and seals them up in a bag for a trial. This is the first office and work of conscience, upon which the second, namely its accusations, do depend. These accusations of conscience are terrible things. Who can stand before them? They are full, they are clear, and all of them referring to the approaching judgment of the great and terrible God. Conscience dives into all sins, secret as well as open, and into all the circumstances and aggravations of sin as being committed against light, against mercy, 
against the strivings, warnings, and regrets of conscience. Thus we may say of the efficacy of conscience, as it is said of the influence of the sun, there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Come, saith the woman of Samaria, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Christ convinced her but of one sin by his discourse, but conscience by that one fetched in and charged all the rest upon her. And as the accusations of conscience are full, so they are clear and undeniable. A man becomes self-convinced, and there remains no shift, excuse, or plea to defend himself. A thousand witnesses cannot prove any point more clearly than one testimony of conscience doth. And he was speechless, Matthew twenty-two twelve. A mute, muzzled, as the word signifies, by the clear testimony of his own conscience. These accusations are the second work of conscience, and they make way for the third, namely, the sentence and condemnation of conscience. Truly, this is an insupportable burden. The condemnation of conscience is nothing else but its application of the condemning sentence of the law to a man's person. The law curseth everyone that transgresseth it. Conscience applies this curse to the guilty sinner, so that it sentences the sinner in God's name and authority, from whence there is no appeal. The voice of Conscience is the voice of God, and what it pronounces in God's name and authority he will confirm and ratify. If our heart, that is our conscience, condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. This is the torment that no man can endure. See the effects of it in Cain, in Judas, and in Spira. Now Spira, according to a footnote here, was a famous Protestant Italian lawyer. He died under dreadful agony of conscience because, fearing the Inquisition, he renounced the Protestant faith. He later died in terrifying despair. Charles Spurgeon said that the case of Spira was the most dreadful case, perhaps, except that of Judas, which is upon record in the memory of man. Some believe Spira was the model for Bunyan's man in the iron cage in the interpreter's house in the Pilgrim's Progress. His story is told in Nathaniel Bacon's A Relation of the Fearful Estate of Francis Spira, well known to the Puritans. But see the effects of it in Spira. It is a real foretaste of hell torments. This is that worm that never dies. For look, as a worm in the body is bred of the corruption that is there, so the accusations and condemnations of conscience are bred in the soul by the corruption and guilt that are there. As the worm in the body preys and bites upon the tender, sensible inward parts, so doth conscience touch the very quick. This is the third effect or work to sentence and condemn. And this also makes way for a fourth, namely to upbraid and reproach the sinner under his misery. This makes a man a very terror to himself. To be pitied in misery is some relief, but to be upbraided and reproached doubles our affliction. 
You know, it was one of the aggravations of Christ's sufferings to be reproached by the tongues of his enemies while he hanged in torments upon the cursed tree. But all the scoffs and reproaches, the bitter jeers and sarcasms in the world are nothing to those of a man's own conscience, which will cut to the very bone. Oh, when a man's conscience shall say to him in a day of trouble, as Reuben to his afflicted brothers, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. So conscience says, Did I not warn you, threaten you, persuade you in time against these evils? But you would not hearken to me. Therefore, behold, now you must suffer to all eternity for it. The wrath of God is kindled against thy soul for it. This is the fruit of thy own willful madness and obstinacy. Now thou shalt know the price of sinning against God, against light, against conscience. Oh, this is terrible. Every bite of conscience makes a poor soul to startle and in a terrible fright to cry, Oh, the worm, oh, the bitter foretaste of hell, a wounded spirit who can bear? This is a fourth wound of conscience, and it makes way for a fifth, for here it is as the pouring out of the vials and the sounding of those woe trumpets in Revelation. One woe is past, another cometh. After all these deadly blows of conscience upon the very heart of a sinner comes another as dreadful as any that is yet named, and that is, fifthly, the fearful expectation of wrath to come which it begets in the soul of a guilty sinner. Of this you read a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, Hebrews 10.27. And this makes the stoutest sinner faint and sink under the burden of sin. For the tongue of man cannot declare what it is to lie down and rise with those fearful expectations. The case of such sinners is somewhat like that which is described in Deuteronomy 28. 65 to 67. The Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind, and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even, and at even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see. It differs only in this. In this scripture, you have the terror of those described whose temporal life hangs in doubtful suspense. But in the persons I am speaking of, it is a trembling under the apprehensions and expectations of the vengeance of eternal life. Believe it, friends. Words cannot express what those poor creatures feel that lie down and rise up under these fears and frights of conscience. Lord, what will become of me? I, I am free among the dead, yes, among the damned. I hang by the frail thread of a momentary life which will and must break shortly, and it may break the next moment over the everlasting burnings. No pleasant bread is to be eaten in these days but what is like the bread of condemned men. Thus you see what the burden of sin is when God makes it to bear upon the consciences of men. No burden of affliction is like it. 
Losses of dearest relations, sorrows for an only son, are not so pungent and penetrating as these, for no creature enjoyment is pleasant under these inward troubles. In other troubles they may signify something to a man's relief, but here they are nothing. The wound is too deep to be healed by anything but the blood of Jesus Christ. Conscience requires as much to satisfy it as God requires to satisfy him. When God is at peace with thee, saith conscience, then will I be at peace with thee too. But until then expect no rest nor peace from me. All the pleasures and diversions in the world shall never stop my, my mouth. Go where thou wilt. I will follow thee like thy shadow. Be thy portion in the world as sweet as it will. I will drop in gall and wormwood into thy cup, so that thou shalt taste no sweetness in anything until thou hast got thy pardon. These inward troubles for sin alienate the mind from all former pleasures and delights. There is no more taste or savor in them than in the white of an egg. Music is out of tune. All instruments jar and groan. Ornaments have no beauty. What heart hath a poor creature to deck that body in which dwells such a miserable soul? He has no heart to feed and pamper that carcass that hath been the soul's inducement to an instrument in sin and must be its companion in everlasting misery. If it be inquired in the last place why God makes the burden of sin press so heavy upon the hearts of poor sinners, we answer first, he doth it to divorce their hearts from sin by giving them an experimental taste of the bitterness and evil that is in sin. Men's hearts are naturally glued with delight to their sinful courses. All the persuasions and arguments in the world are too weak to separate them from their beloved lusts. The morsels of sin go down smoothly and sweetly. They roll them with much delectation under their tongues, and it is necessary that such bitter potions as these should be administered to make their stomachs rise against sin. That is what the word used by the apostle in Second Corinthians 7.11 signifies. Ye sorrowed after a godly sort. It notes the rising of the stomach with rage a being angry even unto sickness. And this is the way, the best and most effectual way to separate the soul of a sinner from his lusts. For in these troubles, conscience saith, as it is in Jeremiah 4.18, Thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. This is thy wickedness, because it is bitter, because it reacheth unto thy heart. Secondly, the Lord doth this to make Jesus Christ most welcome and desirable to the soul. Christ is not sweet until sin is made bitter to us. They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. If once God wounds the heart of a sinner with the stinging sense of sin, then nothing in the world is so precious, so necessary, so vehemently desired and panted for as Jesus Christ. Oh, that I had Christ if I did go in rags, if I did feed upon no other food all my days but the bread and water of affliction, this is the language of a soul filled with the sense of the evil of sin. And thirdly, the Lord doth this to advance the riches of his free grace 
in the eyes of sinners. Grace never appears grace until sin appears to be sin. The deeper our sense of the evil of sin is, the deeper our apprehension of the free grace of God in Christ will be. Thus you have had a brief account of what the burden of sin is, how souls are supported under that burden, and why the Lord causes sin to lie so heavily upon the souls of some sinners. That's from The Whole Works of the Reverend John Flavel, Volume 2, In the Public Domain, written in 1820, actually published in 1820. Thank you so much for listening. Do look around the site, and we have many audios that have many other of God's great preachers and a lot about North Korea, too. And then if you just contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com, I'd like to tell you about our Zoom meetings for men, and then we have one for men and women. But thank you so much for being here. Uh, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on September 16, 2022. Lord willing, we'll get to talk again real soon. Bye-bye.